You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is an Australian freelance writer, blogger, and author with more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 30 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Alison? Well, I'm slightly gobsmacked that we're up to episode 30. How I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who'd have thought? Who'd I have kind thought? of feel like we should have a party or something at this point. It's, yeah, may, maybe at episode 100 we'll have a meet-up or something. Episode 100? Yeah, it's a 100. while off. Yeah, it's a while off. I was so, going to say. What have you been up to this it's week? It's a long time to wait for a drink, Val. <laughs> um, well, I'm very excited, Val, because I have finished the draft of the first draft of uh, Mapmaker's Book 3. I've managed to blast that out. I got to the end and I struggled so badly to think of the perfect last line. I had no idea. I mean, you, you kind of just don't think about how difficult a last line actually is to write until yeah. you get to it. And every time I get to it, I'm surprised. Yeah. Um, so I wrote something that I think I really like and I'll probably change it completely come draft two. But anyway, so that's what I've done. I've, I've finished that and I've received the copy edit for book two. So I will spend the week going through book two, trying to put it all together again. Busy, busy, busy. Yes, it's very exciting. But what about you? What have you been doing? What have I been doing? Uh, well, this week I uh, was interviewed on a podcast, so the tables oh. were turned. Um, yeah, it was really fun. It was with Damien from the Newbie Writers Podcast. So shout out to Damien and his podcast. Hi, we will put the link in the show notes. Uh, but apart from that, I have been – I've just got a crazy, crazy couple of weeks coming up with lots of speaking engagements in, you know, Gold Coast, Melbourne, Brisbane, all over the place. So it's all a bit um, – it's all of a bit of a crazy travel schedule and, of course, I have to prepare for the speaking engagements. So I've been busy doing my, you know, working out my workshops and, and keynotes and all of that. It's um, been a bit hectic around here. You are so in demand. <laughs> I don't know how you cope. It's very exciting. It just so happens that they seem to be a bit concentrated in the, you know, these couple of weeks. But um, so I wish they would spread out a little bit more. So there was a bit of breathing space in between. You know, my partner just sort of I, I tried to explain what I was doing, and he just said, "Can you just send me a run sheet for the next month?" <laughs> <laughs> You need someone to just coordinate your entire life for you, don't exactly, you? Exactly. I wish. Anyway, so what has been happening in the world of publishing and writing and blogging this week? Well, um, I came across a link as I was, you know, doing my thing, pinning social mediaing in all my various guises. Um, and it's a link on uh, techcrunch.com. And basically, the obviously, the headline very much caught my attention there is one new book on Amazon every five minutes. Wow. A new book every five minutes. When you think about that, that sea of words that's just lurking out there somewhere in the cloud, it's, um, it's quite extraordinary. So there's around about 3.4 million books on mm. Amazon at Good present. Grief. So the question you have to ask yourself is what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> to you as a writer or an indie publisher or whatever it is that you're doing um, out there. And, of course, the the thing is, I guess, is, you know, everyone keeps talking about this discoverability yeah. um, issue with um, books today. And I guess the when you put it into that kind of perspective with a new book up there every five minutes mm -hmm. and 3.4 million there at the moment, um, how do you stand out? I mean, that's the difficult thing. It's very, very easy to publish these days and to get you to, to put your book up there. But, you know, you put your book up there now and by this afternoon, you're, you know, 200th in line of new yeah. books on Amazon. So, <laughs> um, I guess that's the whole thing that that we have to think about. But the, the, the interesting thing about it is that people like Amanda Hocking and Hugh Howey, for example, mm. even those people who are selling huge numbers of books are still, um, you know, struggling a little bit. Like Hugh Howey's Dust is now 800th place 
in his you know category for um on Amazon. So there's 799 other books above it. And so everyone talks about the long tail of ebooks, mm. but even so, the long tail may be there, but the, they just keep getting buried further and further and further down amongst this pile of books. You've got to think about how you're going to put yourself at the top of the pile. So what wow. do we say about that, Val? Well, <laughs> I think that that is the, the perfect segue into um, something that came across my desk this week. And it's an author, an Australian author, who is basically, you know, trying to get that cut through and has realised that, I don't know if he knows that there are there is one book every, you know, five minutes on Amazon, but he knows there's a whole lot of books out there and he needs to do something different. So he's written a thriller and his, name's is, his name is James Evangelides and he usually writes um, other kinds of books like business books and that sort of thing. Uh, so he doesn't have a name at all in the thriller space. So he's realised he's got to get through the crowd and um, has thought of an innovative way to do this this. Now, whether it works or not will be really, really interesting. So I'm going to be following this very closely because he's written a book called Maze of Keys, which is a good title, you know, sounds like a thriller, Maze of Keys, and you can find it at mazeofkeys.com. And um, it's, it's a thriller, but what he's doing is launching it with a competition. Now, this isn't any old competition where you get to win some books or anything like that, um, or even a competition where you, you know, have some time with the author. There's a guaranteed minimum prize of $10,000. And what readers need to do is obviously buy the book. (laughs) Clearly. Yes, clearly. And there are some clues and things like that in, in the book and they need to solve a puzzle. And so you you know you you log on to a to the website and you get the clues on how to solve the puzzle and if you solve the puzzle you basically win the prize. Well, if, but if many of you solve the puzzle, there's kind of a next step. Like if ten people solve the puzzle, then um, you those ten people have to do kind of like step two. But right. the interesting thing, so there's a guarantee. Even if only one person in the world buys the book. <laughs> Wow. And that one person solves the puzzle, they will get $10,000. Um, you can read the actual terms and conditions on the website, of course. It's a great-looking uh, website. It great is. cover. So yeah. he's invested a lot of time and money in doing this. But the more books that are sold, the greater the prize pool. So if, for example, um, you know, uh, a million books are sold, then the prize pool goes up to $3 million or something like that. What? Of which uh, a million will go to charity. So basically it's kind of like a win-win. So the more people who buy it, the more he's going to add to the prize pool. And if you solve the puzzle, you win whatever that prize is. So I think it'll be interesting. And there's a very fi- there's a finite period in which you need to – um, enter the competition starts on the 17th of September and closes on the 31st of October so you have to enter during that period okay and um, it's all you know it's going to be audited by Ernst and Young you know um, wow. reputable uh, organization and there are a few charity partners who will benefit um, as well but basically yeah he's looking for cut through uh, by thinking of this very innovative innovative way to launch his book. So basically, um, the, if, if like as I mentioned, if the, a million books are sold, <clears throat> the prize is three million dollars to the winner mm. and a thousand a, a, mil, a million donation. If and this is a little bit unlikely, but I'll say it anyway. If ten million books are sold, <laughs> the prize is forty million dollars <laughs> and the donation of fifteen million. So you're basically buying a ticket in the lot ticket in the lottery in some ways. <laughs> Bye bye, but you get the book. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. But you need to solve the puzzle. Yes. Yeah. Do you think we can do it, Val? No. <laughs> I'm not that good at that kind of puzzle. And, and it's a skills-based task. So if there's lots of puzzle solvers, you will get a final task, and you'll have 24 hours to complete the task. And um, yeah, and 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 that'll take place on a certain date. And yeah, you'll see. And the prize will be paid no later than 28 days from the competition closing date. So it all looks very legit, but it's going to boil down to how many people buy the book. Because his aim 
is not necessarily to give all this money away. He's aiming to sell books. He's aiming to sell the books. So it, uh, I don't know. Would you buy the book and solve the puzzle? I, well, put it this way, like why not in some ways? Like if you're going to buy a thriller, would you, why would you not buy his that you can then have the opportunity to actually like win a prize? Yes. So it makes perfect sense. If you're sitting there going, which book will I buy? Then that's the book, isn't it? Yeah, that yeah, that's the thing. But it's like it's like a gym membership. You buy the gym membership, but you don't necessarily go. <laughs> so chances are, <laughs> if I bought the book, and which I'm going to, you know, I I'm going to look at the puzzle and go, oh my god, I'll just watch Sherlock instead on TV. <laughs> you know? yeah, he can solve it. For me. <laughs> he can solve it. Yeah. <laughs> so. Mm. Oh well, it's so, very very interesting. It's a great. I mean, put it this way: like as far as publicity campaigns go it's one of the more interesting it does ring bells with me I think it's been done I think it was done in the UK I have memories of this being done in the UK with a UK author it might have been even a YA book or something like that like I don't think it's a brand new idea no. but I do think it's like it's being executed extremely well here as far mm. as I can see like the as I say the um it's a great looking website and the yeah. cover's really eye-catching it's really yeah he's obviously you know he's very professional, knows what he's doing. Yeah, so good on him. And I'm, I'm yeah, yeah uh, it would be really fascinating to see the outcome of this. And, of course, we'll report back on that once it's all, you know, happened. Yeah. great. But, yes, yeah, so that's um, that's one innovative way to get through the, the crowd. Um, but I also came across um, an interesting post this week because um, uh, when, once when I was at South by Southwest, which is a, you know, a festival in Austin, Texas every year, and I went to a um, session run by the people who do Smith Magazine and they're very famous for their six-word memoirs. And, you know, they, they've got this um, – sort of movement where you just write a memoir in six words and they have gone even to, you know, the the US military and corporations to encourage people to write a six-word memoir. And this is, of course, inspired by the famous story about um, Ernest Hemingway who uh, was challenged to write a short story in six words. And he came up with for sale baby shoes never worn. Which, I know. It's you know, heartbreaking. Yes, it's heartbreaking. Um, anyway, so I was in this session and uh, it, it, he encouraged people to get up to the microphone and basically come up with their six-word memoir. I didn't have the guts to do that, you know. <laughs> but um, I, I, it, it, it stuck in my memory because one woman got up and she just said, and her six-word memoir was, he hit, I left, no more. And, oh. oh no! Oh wow! <laughs> yes, but the Ritz Carlton Hotel <laughs> has um, started a social media campaign where they've encouraged people to provide their six-word stories oh. about their Ritz Carlton experiences. Because of course, we can all afford to have Ritz Carlton experiences, and <laughs> and to do use the hashtag. RC memories, so R for Ritz and C for Carlton memories. And they call them six word wows. And, you know, um, if uh, the the press release on their corporate website says that it's paying homage to the to classic Ernest Hemingway line, which is the one that we've just said. But I came across this blog post um, basically about it and. I just liked the the final um, paragraph because they've basically, you know, named some of the – I mean, they've basically printed some of the six-word wor- six wows from the people who stay at the um, Ritz-Carlton, like dinner till dawn, laughter, years regained, which, you know, fair enough. If you've written that it, because of your stay at the Ritz-Carlton, that's, that's very nice. Um, but this blogger um, from Beatty's book blog has basically said, these bites, as in these six-word wows, suggest that accommodations are not just a bed and shelter, but tweetable, an enviable narrative arc in a storied life. Not only that, but Ritz-Carlton suggests that by providing a personal narrative gratis, for the benefit of a company that netted $626 million in 2013 <laughs> after paying to stay at one of their properties, of course, is honouring a literary genius. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, we're all so cynical now, aren't we? I know. <laughs> and it's a fair point. <laughs> yeah, it's a fair point. I just thought, and that just made me laugh, so I wanted to include that um, in today's links. Uh, but anyway, what now, else have some, we got going? Well, I just wanted to add, I, I had a lovely conversation on Twitter um, uh, a little while ago with a with a guy called at Dan from Melbourne, oh, yes. um, and his his handle is at Melbtown, and he runs a little blog where he lists you know different things that are happening in Melbourne at different times, but he also runs and this is something that I think will be very dear to our hearts, Val, after our discussion regarding book clubs, uh, bookshelves in bars, mm. bookshops in bars, I think we were talking, he runs a little club called Melbourne Readers and they meet up monthly and you bring your book with you and you have a read at a lovely bar in Melbourne. So it's just a group of people who get together to read and have a little drink and a bit of a chat and then they go home. And I think that sounds incredibly civilised. So hi, Dan from Melbourne. I think you're um, that your reading club sounds fantastic and I think every city should have one. Yeah, totally. I think though, I think I would rather have high tea with champagne. Oh, really? Yeah. No, I would yeah. like a just like a little nice scotch on the rocks and a bit of a whiskey. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Mind you, I think I'd struggle because I'd probably want to talk to people. I don't no. know that I'd get much reading done. No, that's the thing. <laughs> but great idea. Imagine you and I at a reading club. We'd be. <laughs> We wouldn't be reading. We wouldn't be. We'd be whispering and be sent home. Exactly. <laughs> so, what's our writing craft bit of advice this week? Oh well, interestingly, I um, found I came across a blog um, that uh, outlined. And it's Julie, I think it's Julia Made. It's the thing is actually not that easy to read, but Julia Made. And it's the 10 best blogger must read books on blogging. So there's a little bit of SEO in that headline. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just putting that out there. Um, But she has put together a list of uh, different. Um, you know, obviously books that about blog and they cover off everything from blogging for creatives to actual blog design solutions on how to, uh, there's one specifically about WordPress called WordPress to go. There's the elements of content strategy. There's likable social media. So all aspects of blogging, not just, you know, how to monetize your blog or, or um, that sort of stuff, but all the different um, parts of blogging, there is a book for you if you're interested in learning more about that. And um, I think it's quite a good sort of overview of the kinds of things that are involved in blogging that sometimes people forget about. There's one there about SEO for content writers and PR pros, which, you know, if you're uh, writing a blog and you're you're keen to get more traffic, then search engine optimization is obviously something that you do need to think about. Um, so if there's a certain element of blogging that you would like to learn more about, then I think that this may be a good starting point of some of these books. Um, but I guess, I, do you, have you got a favourite blogging book? Have I got a favourite blogging book? I must admit that I did buy, you know, the pro bloggers 31 days to a better blog thing. Oh, um, yeah, that was that was a good if you're a newbie blogger, that's a great starting point. Yes, which is a great starting point. And I, I have read it and it's very good. Um, but I think I got to day four and I just sort of start. fell off the wagon. Um, day four? <laughs> I know, I didn't last very long. That's that not good. a reflection on the book, anyone. That's probably more of a reflection of my, you know, stickability to things. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the buying the it's like buying the gym membership and not going. Yes, yeah, so I guess it's with your flight schedule though. It's I can see how you might find that a bit difficult. Um, yeah, but anyway, so that's a great starting point. I think you know there, there's um, we do talk a lot about writing books. Well, there's a good selection of blogging books. Fantastic. And speaking of blogs, speaking of blogs, this is an interesting question. What do I put on a blog business card, mm. and do I need one? It's a question that you kind of see, particularly when there's you know a big blogger conference coming up, like um, Pro Blogger, which was held recently. You do see a lot of people. Not only do you get you know what should I wear, oh, which yeah. there's an awful lot of that going on, um, but you also get this you know some of the smaller details and you know do I need to take a blog business card to a conference Um, and if I do what do I put on it now I'm going to ask you this because you go to a lot of conferences and um, so my question is this do I need a business card specifically for my blog 
I think it depends on the conference you're going to and the purpose of you being there. Okay. If the purpose of you being there is to, you know, connect with more people and hopefully get more readers for your blog, but, you know, basically connect with people, then, yes, you do need, um, you know, a, a, some kind of business card. Um but and, and particularly at a blogging conference. However, if you are at a different type of conference and you're there in a different capacity and you just happen to have a blog, then it may not be appropriate for you to be handing out your blog business card because maybe they don't care. Maybe they want to meet you for other reasons, for you know whatever it is, whatever else you're known for. So I think at a blogging conference, it's perfectly acceptable to um, and expected to have a blog business card. I don't think that it necessarily needs to be um, this you know, souped up business card because people angst over their business card um, mm. about whether it should have this or this or whatever. Really, um, you know, I, I, I love it when people just use Moo cards because they can just do – you have a variety of, you know, different images or, or that sort of thing on, on their card and they – and. and and because all I'm really wanting is their blog address or the how contact, contact details. Them. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. But on that point of the contact details, um, <laughs> sometimes at certain conferences and places, you may or may not want to give out some of your personal contact details, yes. like your phone number. Well, this is a problem that I ran into, where I run into regularly. A, if I actually remember to take a card with me, because I'm actually not very good at that. Yes. Um, Because, you know, as you would probably figure, I'm a little bit, I get there and think, oh, I should have bought a business card. (laughs) Um, But the other problem I had, particularly when I first sort of started going and speaking at conferences and things like that, is that I do have business cards, but they are for my freelance writing business. So, they have all my details on them, including my phone number. And if I'm going to a conference and you know, it's, I, I do want to meet you and I, I think it's great to talk to people, but I don't necessarily want the entire world having my mobile phone number. I mean, I don't know, does that make me old-fashioned? I'm not sure. But no, it doesn't make you old-fashioned. Yeah, so I, what I realised is that I probably need to, for those kind of specific occasions, I probably need to have a set of business cards made that just have my uh, website details, my email address and, you know, those kinds of yeah. things on it because I, my phone number is kind of important to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had the same mobile phone number since I was 26 years mm-hmm. old. Does that, does that make me some kind of re- – I reckon that's almost a record. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, same good. one. Same phone number for, well, you know, quite a number of years, shall we say. That's one thing to be proud of, Al. <laughs> yes, that's true. But I'm so, looking at this list here and, like, they're suggesting that, you know, that you put – um, you know, you've got to have your name, you've got to have your website details and you've got to have your email address. And I think that those are the essential keys for that kind of business card. Mm. Um, and then they suggest that you might like to have things like your picture, like, no, sorry, That's I don't need to put my American, photo on it. It is, yeah. Your phone number. Um, again, if it's a freelance writing card, yes, please put your phone number on it. Um, if it's a blog, you know, conference sort of card, You don't necessarily need to unless you want to, okay? I mean, some people will be happy with that. Your Twitter handle, yes. I think I would probably put my Twitter handle on a blog business card, although all those details are on my website. But nonetheless, if somebody just, you know, specifically wants to connect with me there, then maybe that's easier. And then, you know, some cards will have all the other social links as well. I'm probably not going to get that far if you give me that card. No. All I really want is your website and your email address. I would probably put your Twitter handle because if they're meeting you at a blogging conference, particularly, one way that people connect immediately and converse immediately is through Twitter. But a a friend of mine, I'll let you in on my friend's dirty little secret. Oh, okay. (laughs) He he, uh, has a great technique and he basically, he goes to lots of these conferences and um, he basically has well men have pockets you know women don't quite have pockets but men have pockets and in his in one pocket he's got the business card that's his real business card that has his contact his email address and his contact details and that sort of thing and in the other pocket he has the business card that doesn't have his mobile number or his email address even it's got his website (sighs) 
And so I like your friend's he style. makes a decision on which one to give you. So if you come across him and you get his business card that um, doesn't like, have his contact what? details. I was actually sitting here contemplating exactly that same thing. So I yeah. might just take a leaf out of his book. But having said that, of course, I will give everyone that's listening to our podcast a real <laughs> business card. <laughs> Of course. So I just thought it was very clever of him to do that. Um, but, of course, then some people have come back to him a couple of years later who have actually become his friends and said to him, you know, I looked at that business card you first gave me two years ago and it's the dud one. Oh, dear. It's not a, I don't think it's a dud. I think if, you put some, if I put my website address on my business card, you can contact me because yes. all of my contacts are there except my phone number. Yes, that's true. So it's not like I'm, you know... Not like I'm showing you the hand or anything. Exactly, exactly. Anyway, enough of your friend and his dirty little secret. (laughs) Who are we talking to today? Our writer in residence this week is Steve Sammartino. And we're doing something a little bit different today because Steve Sammartino is a business book writer. And he's written a book called The Great Fragmentation. And I really enjoy talking to Steve because apart from having, you know, fantastic ideas all the time about the world of business and technology and, you know, startups and disruption, and they're, and they're, they're ideas that you would be interested in even if you know, you're not in that space. He kind of, like, for example, one day he thought, oh, I think it would be a really good idea to build a full-size Lego car with a real engine that runs on air. Right. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And he subsequently got a bunch of us together to to fund this, but he did the lion's share of the funding. And I, you know, was one of the um, sort of investors in that, but it was just for fun, really. And um, it took forever, but he he achieved that. He worked with a a guy, um, you know, to to think of the mechanics of this this car. We'll put the YouTube video in the show notes, but he... um, he succeeded. They succeeded. And uh, this full-size Leo car, which two people could sit in, was driving, was running on air, driving around the streets of Melbourne. Um, that's just an aside, and that's not even what his book is about. Wow. <laughs> the book is, is called The Great Fragmentation, and he talks a lot about also how he, you know, pitched the book and how he got his book deal. So let's listen to Steve Sammartino. Steve Sammartino had his first startup before the age of 10 running an organic egg farm in the 1970s before the word organic or startup had even been invented. When he became a grown-up, he went into the marketing world working in senior executive roles in global consumer goods companies and advertising agencies. He escaped his cubicle for the first time in 2005 and founded Rentoid.com, a peer-to-peer renting portal. After a successful exit, he embarked on a number of projects, including putting a Lego space shuttle into actual orbit, building a Lego car with an engine that runs on air. He's a board member in Tom Carr Australia. He's been blogging for over 10 years, sharing his lessons along the way with entrepreneurs and his debut book, The Great Fragmentation, came out this year. Thanks for joining us today, Steve. Thanks for having me, Val. Now tell listeners what is The Great Fragmentation all about. So, The Great Fragmentation is a book about the technology revolution and the idea is that all of the main factors of production are getting smaller. So smaller technology, smaller prices, highly distributed systems. And what that means is that small business has as much chance to do well as big business did because all of the factors of production are being democratised and available. So why did you want to write this book? Perhaps maybe give, some, give listeners a little bit of context on what you do. And, you know, you've been writing a popular blog called The Startup Blog for many years, but you do a whole range of things in the tech space and also just in, you know, the, the, the digital and innovation space. Give readers, I mean, listeners an idea of what you do and why you wanted to write this book. Yeah, so my background right from the start was uh, a marketing person. I worked in consumer goods for around about 15 years at large consumer goods companies like Procter & Gamble and Kraft and 
Kimberly Clark also worked in the world's biggest advertising agency. About 10 years ago, I got heavily involved in the startup scene and had my own startup, Rentoid.com, which I uh, built and, and then sold, and I've been involved in the startup scene. And by having that breadth of knowledge in the world's biggest companies and the world's smallest uh, companies, which is me and my laptop on a kitchen table, <laughs> uh, I really got to see the breadth of what was happening in business. And the overall thing that I could see is that we're going through a shift, you know, really akin to the Industrial Revolution, only that this time it's, I think, three times bigger. And I thought that all of the books that I was reading were too thin. And when I say too thin, they were kind of like, in a business context, uh, context, just writing about one idea and then going through that idea over a number of chapters. And I, I really felt as though there was a need for something that really had the breadth of looking at all of the pieces of the puzzle and, and summarising how they're different from the industrial era uh, to the technology era. And so I just thought that I wanted to pull that together. So that's how the idea came around. I really wanted to write a manifesto uh, for doing business in the technology age. So what do you want readers to take away? What do you want them to come away with after reading your book? Yeah, I mean, the main thing I want them to come away with is I can actually do anything anyone else can do. And I want them to come away with if we're working for a big business, the thing that made us big is going to probably be the thing that will kill us because all the rules of business have changed. So give us an idea of you've written this book, but what else do you do at the moment? Yeah, so at the moment, uh, the main things that I do is really, I think, write and speak for a living is, is uh, the main part. So I do a lot of writing for um, some journals. Uh, I do public speaking, mostly at, at large corporates, talking about the technology revolution. And I'm also involved in a few startups. Uh, one of the startups is Comcar Australia, where actually we're an example of the great fragmentation. We make and sell all-terrain vehicles here in Australia but we don't own a factory and we're a seven-person car company. So we're proof that you don't need a lot of physical assets to be involved uh, in a revolution. And also uh, I work for some venture capital firms. I do some work with Polonizer in Sydney and uh, am involved in some other people's startups where I mentor and help them grow their startups. Great. So how did you get the publishing deal? And also just bear in mind if, you know, if you're giving some lessons, because I know you're big on, you know, giving lessons to people. Bear in mind that the listeners of this podcast aren't just business people. They're, they're, they're aspiring writers who may want to write fiction. They may want to write the next Harry Potter. They may want to write, you know, um, a, a book that's got nothing to do with the business space, but they certainly want to get a publishing deal as you have. How did you get your publishing deal? Yeah. I mean, the, the one thing that is true is that I wasn't a stranger to the publisher who I went with, uh, Wiley, which I know that uh, published your book as well, Power Stories. Mm -hmm. So uh, a, a fellow um, author through Wiley, Trevor Young, uh, he had a book uh, that he did through Wiley and I was, I've been friends with him for quite some time and, and I asked him to give me an, an intro and I pitched them on an email, which is one of those emails that you spend weeks writing and, and going back and forth before you <laughs> press send because you're so nervous, you, you feel like it's an all or nothing deal. Yeah. Uh, so he was the person who uh, gave me the intro to Wiley Actually, Wiley were the first uh, publisher that I went to with the idea for the book. Uh -huh. And I kind of did a little bit of social hacking, if you like, to uh, get them to, to publish the book. Uh, one of the things that they normally do is, is they want you to fill out a form and a proposal of what your book's about, the layout, and uh, the content that it's going to cover. And I actually asked them if I could come in and tell them a story about what the book would be like mm -hmm. and, and not fill out the form. I said, look, I really, if I can speak about it, you'll see if you like it. So instead of me wasting your time having to read it and my time having to fill it out, if you just give me 45 minutes of your time, I'll tell you the story of the book. And I said to them, all you need to know is that I write the way I speak. And, and I did a presentation which was essentially the book uh, to them in, a, in, a, in kind of an unusual fashion. So I, I kind of took a risk and ask them to do something that they don't normally do and it, and it worked out really well. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that is that you know one of my strengths is speaking. So I thought, how can I turn that around so that I could get that as a way to, to get a publishing deal for a book? So I think the one thing for aspiring authors out there is that while there are rules and, and often we have to follow them, we can ask the question and say, hey, can we do it this different way? 
if we can point out to the other party how that might be a benefit to them. And, uh, and so I just kind of turned that around and it was kind of refreshing and, and I know that they liked hearing the story in that, in that narrative. And then we went on to the formal process after that, but I felt like it, it gave me more of a chance by, uh, first of all, not being a stranger, I, I came through a friend and then saying, hey, why don't we do it this way to see if this is the kind of content you'd like to publish in the book. And so did they give you an immediate reaction or response to your presentation? Yeah, look, I, to be honest, I knew that they would publish it after I presented it. In fact, I knew that they would publish it before I did the presentation <laughs> because it's a presentation that I had done, uh, you know, more than 20 or 30 times. And, and in fact, you know, that for me reminds me a lot about the whole pitching process of, of writing a book. We, we so very often hear about authors who've gone on to become bestsellers globally where they say, you know, that I went to 20 publishers before someone accepted me or 50 publishers. And, and I'm starting to wonder whether the reason that their book didn't get agreed to be published was because they weren't very good at pitching. Yeah. And so it took them 20 times to learn about pitching uh, before and get good at that before someone bought into it rather than the book idea mm. um, not being right or finding the right person. And I had that in my mind when I flipped it around. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to see if, if I can do it that way first and... and rather than just being a bunch of words on a page, if they buy into you as a person first, I think, mm. even though writing is the thing that we need to do. So that was top of mind when I did that. So tell us what you think are some essential elements when you're pitching your book idea to a publisher. What do you think worked yeah. for you? Yeah, I think um, having a clear narrative, like really being able to explain it uh, in a couple of sentences so they could see the start, the middle and the end mm. uh, is really important. And the other thing that I think they're looking for is, is, and I don't use this word very often, the zeitgeist, if they can see where it fits, certainly from a business perspective, but even from a storytelling or pop culture perspective or, or you know, political viewpoint, if they can see how this has a sense of fitting with ideas the world are exploring at the moment, then I think that their ears are more open, they're more attentive to that idea. So start, middle and an end. Um, so there's a clear narrative and also that that narrative fits with the zeitgeist in some capacity, even if it's fiction, if they can see how that has got some currency in the marketplace and those types of stories are doing well, then like all industries, including publishing, then there is a trend element. It's not just you know clothing and music that has that trend element. Publishing is, is strongly in that arena too because it's a pop culture business. Did you put forward any strategies to them um, about how you would assist or what your involvement would be in selling the book because I know that you told me that uh, that you told them um, I told them the New York Times list is a bestseller list not a best writer list and I told them I know how to sell so how did you show them that you could sell and what sort of strategies did you show them that you would do to sell your book to help yeah. them sell your book yeah exactly um well, I, I showed them that I had a, a reasonable social footprint. Uh, I think one of the things that they look for is what sort of a following do you have or digital footprint in, in the media? So I showed them uh, how to do that or how, how I had that, that social footprint, you know, the blogs, the number of Twitter followers I had, um, email sign-ups, and, and, you know, I assured them, you know, the day that I press send, I've got a 1,000 copies that I'll be able to sell overnight to the readers of, of um, my blog, which is a big risk reducer for them but I also pointed out the process of after I did the presentation of how I sold them on the idea of doing things the way that they normally don't do it I showed them that the startups that I built and that I actually am a salesperson deep down and I think that really resonated uh, because we all so very much focus on being a writer and 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 that's just one part of it I think um, increasingly and they even said increasingly they're looking for people who are good at selling what they do because with uh, the book industry, the way it's going, increasingly electronic and digital, then the thing that, that we need to sell is going to be off-shelf and not on the shelf. Mm. And so um, that really resonated. So it was really just a combination of um, showing them my chops as a salesperson with the projects that I've done and, and also pointing out the process that I used to sell my idea to them mm. and, and saying, that look, if I can sell it to you in this way, then I can certainly do that um, through the business community and also showing them... Uh, how I'm distributed within the business community and how that'll expose my book 
uh, to a number of people. Mm. One of the things I also did was show them how every startup I've, I've had has been able to get coverage on TV and mainstream media um, so that they know that the projects that I do, and this, I, I, I regard my book as a startup project. Yeah. Uh, this would be no different to those. So give us some key timelines. When did you, you know, get your introduction through your friend Trevor Young? Um, and when did you do the presentation? About how much later did you do the presentation? How much later the book deal? And then when did you have to deliver? Yeah. So I, I got the introduction in late October from Trevor. 2000... 2013. Mm-hmm. Yep. I... Did the presentation in mid-November. Yep. Uh, in 2013, and then I got the book contract. I think it might have been the 15th of December. Great, and then and we I got to deliver. Yep. yep. Then I had three months to write it. Mm-hmm. I was a week late. Isn't that naughty? Admitting this on a podcast. <laughs> I had to. Oh my god, I was panicking because I thought, oh, three months. That's nothing, Steve. I can write 60,000 words in three months. I write 1,000 a day on my blog. Because, you know, most days on my blog, I'll do, you know, 500 words or 1,000 words. And I did the old calculation. Well, if I divide 1,000 words by 60, that's only two months. And then Christmas came and then January came and party time. And and then I wrote 80,000 words in five weeks. Oh uh, I went a little bit over as well, which was um, a bit silly of me. But I didn't see a friend or a family or anything for about five weeks. I was hiding away in the dark room writing. So tell us uh, about then, that. Pro- actually, just tell us about that process that of writing. Did you actually just extract yourself and focus on it one hundred percent in order to get it done? Yeah, about ninety percent. I mean, I still had some. I still stopped to have showers and food, <laughs> <laughs> but but essentially, um, no. I really did lock myself away, and I even had some of those tough days where I think with every book, whether it's fiction or or, or otherwise. You have parts of the book that you kind of know you need to write about, but, but it, it, the words don't flow as easy. I had some days where I literally stared at the screen for an hour with nothing or two hours. I just, I just wouldn't leave my seat. I'm like, I'm not leaving until it comes to me. And I would literally stare at the screen until, until it came. And, and uh, I really did lock myself away uh, for, a, for a long period to finish it because I was really late on the deadline. And I had to ring them and ask for an extra week. And while they were very generous and gave me an extra week, in fact, they told me that they always have a couple of extra weeks up their sleeve because yeah. it, it happens often. And and I, I hoped that that would be true, but I wasn't exactly sure because it was my first book. Yeah. But I, I can't tell you that it was. A, I'm not going to lie; it was a stressful, stressful situation trying to get it finished on that deadline. I, I reckon left... it might even be the most stressful thing I've ever done. Really? Because you left too too little time for it? or Yeah, I think it was because I left too little time in the end and I just had to finish on that deadline. Right. I mean, the one thing that we need to get better at, I think, with writing especially, is use all of the time available. <laughs> you know, we, it's, no, it really, it really is a thing. We need, we need to use all of the time available. It's easy to fake yourself out with deadlines mm. and, and, and think and to break it down into chunks by days. But I don't think writing works that way. Mm. We need to understand that at various points in time we get flow. You get that natural flow. Yeah. And, and, and that's a nonlinear process. Mm. So if we start straight away, then we give ourselves more chances for those flow days to occur. Mm. But if you, you leave it too late, then you're kind of opening yourself up to, to in some ways, creative risk. And I think that the best way to reduce creative risk is to start straight away. And then whenever the moment happens, you just kind of stop and then go with that moment. Mm. Um, which is something I do on my blog, and it was silly. I didn't listen to to the to my own lessons, you know, writing a blog for ten years. I should have followed the same process with the book, but I didn't because I kind of viewed it um, in some way as a different type of project. When it really, I should have viewed it as the same way. So, did you write all of the words fresh, or did you use anything from your blog? No, it was all fresh. There were a couple of concepts that were, were covered in the blog. I mean, it's hard to avoid it, mm. but it was all fresh. And I, and I wanted to do that for a number of reasons. I knew that all of my blog readers would be um, reading my book. Yeah. Uh, and also, I, I, I think that you owe it to yourself to push yourself as a writer to go to, that, to go to that next level to explore the ideas in greater depth or greater currency, you know, in the now moment. Mm. And, and, and in addition to that, I know that Wiley have a lot of bloggers um, come to them and people because now that we, we all self-publish in some capacity uh, we want to take what we've already done and publish it to the wider world um, but while we are, are pretty keen on um, making sure everything's fresh content yeah. I mean you know you, it, what they sell is is, um, is fresh content and unless you're one of those 
books that gets famous for being famous and uh, becomes a, a big global hit. They, they tend to want new content. So when you locked yourself into your cave in that five-week period, did you have a, any kind of routine or ritual to start the day or, or you know, you went for walks in the afternoon or, or whatever, or did you just put your bum on the seat and make yourself just start typing? Yeah, no, I did have some rituals. There was a little cafe in, in Yarrowville that I go to called The Little Man. I would have a coffee and a croissant and I would get the croissant, to, you know, have the coffee, taste that. And it was almost like I couldn't start writing until I had done that. <laughs> um, and and I would, I would uh, also go for a jog every day because my, my view is that I have my best ideas often when I'm exercising, the oxygen's flowing. So I made sure I did some exercise every day as well. Even though, I mean, I was locking myself away from things. I would, I'd go for a jog and I seriously would come up with ideas, uh, fresh ideas, and I have to stop, you know, get my iPhone out and, and type down, like sometimes I'd even like type down 100 or 200 words on that, that next bit in that chapter while I was jogging. Mm. And I'm convinced that that oxygen flow and that energy from exercise helps you find that stuff that's inside your mind. So the jogging and the exercise is, I think, a, a super big part of me finding those little bits of inspiration because the ideas are in there. What, what you need is that is that connection of oxygen and energy and you know just seeing different things you know being in a different environment sometimes mm. I think opens up the ideas so there were a couple of the things that um that I did every day and I actually went I wrote a, a good chunk of this book in this one particular cafe I remember when I got it published I brought it down there and said thanks for helping me write this book and gave oh, me a wow. copy of it and that because because they found out halfway through and they were like oh we can't wait to see it they're like, cool, a book's being written in our cafe. <laughs> so, awesome. so that was kind of fun. <laughs> and so you were saying before we started recording, actually, that you like the fact that you can now say that you're an author because you can, because it, you know, you can easier explain what you do to people. Can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, so being, I'll call myself a project here. And in fact, in many ways, I a think. A project what? A project here. A project here, like a yeah. rocketeer or a. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I do a lot of projects, right? Um, and you've even been involved in, in some of my projects, the Super Awesome Micro Project, which was the, uh, a Lego drivable car for the listeners out If you just uh, go to YouTube and look at uh, a full-size Lego car that drives, you'll see a car that I built out of Lego. Incredible um, project. Incredible project. Yeah, and we'll so, put the link in the show notes. We'll, yeah, we'll put a link in there. Um, so I, I regard myself as a project here, and, and because of that, uh, it, it's hard to explain to people what I do, but essentially all of my projects are about business, startups, and technology. But now that I've written a book about you know, business, startups, and technology, I can just say I'm an author, and then they say, what's the book about? And that explains the projecteering. So I've kind of like reversed it in, mm-hmm. but it's, it's such a relief to say I'm an author because um, it was just really hard to explain to people what I did, and, and, and I'm so relieved. And I'm actually really proud. I mean, to say you're an author is... Um, and for, for nerds like me, and maybe you a little bit, Val, I mean that in the most loveliest terms, <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's nice to, to have something that my mum can understand as well. Because she would always be like, why don't you just get a normal job, Steve? She, she, she always um, struggled with it. So now she can tell people what I do, and, and so can I, which is good. So what results have you seen from the book? What kind of – has it opened any doors or other opportunities? Oh, absolutely. In, in fact – it's, um, it's, it's, I think that of all the projects I've done, this is one of the ones that has more quickly opened doors. Really? They're, they're, yeah, absolutely. And, and the fact that um, we've got a physical printed version mm. uh, is terrific because what we do is, is, as an author is if, if you've got a physical printed version, you cross that chasm. Self-publishing, I think, is terrific and amazing and it actually gave me um, my in, obviously being a, an independent blogger for a very long time. But to have that physical version means that anyone can understand who you are and what you do. People know that there is quite a process that someone has to go through um, to be given the opportunity to write and get published in a physical format. And so that has a certain amount of respect that goes with it. So with the public speaking that I do, and, and I, guess, I guess it's a form of corporate training because it's always in large companies, um, just having the book in the meetings that I have with these people and giving them a copy it just changes their perspective immediately. Um, one of the large consultants who I've just organised a you know ten uh, speaking gig um, with you know ten different occasions. I was with the chairman of Asia Pacific, who is kind of an old school chap, 
and he was like, so what makes you so clever? You know, that kind of thing. And, and, um, and I said, oh, I've you know, recently published a book. And he was like an e-book. And I, and I handed him the physical copy. No, he really was. And, um, and, and I handed him um, the copy of uh, The Great Fragmentation. And he was like, oh, good, good, good to see you. Good to see you doing something in your serious old school, you know. And, and I got the gig. But I, I, I swear, just having it, it kind of, it really does change things. And it's opened up a tremendous um, amount of doors in the kind of consulting um, speaking kind of arena that I work in. It actually validates um, the work. I mean, it, I don't think it makes me, you know, I'm no better than I was last year or yesterday, but it changes the perception. And the perception, as we know in, in, in life, is sometimes a big thing. Mm. So has it been easier for you to get more speaking gigs and consulting gigs? Have you gotten more speaking and consulting gigs as a result? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's it's just grown um, exponentially since the book came out, or even since they knew it was coming out. Uh, you know, it would be used as a his, his his debut book is coming out. You know, in July right. you know, or or August. That was um, always a big thing as well. What was the most challenging or surprising thing about the whole process? Okay, this is the most the thing that I'm most surprised about, and in hindsight, I shouldn't have been surprised. That the publisher don't they don't read all of the book. Certainly <laughs> the business perspective. I know that they haven't read it all. I even asked them because I was so curious at some points. So I know that the only people who've read the entire book are the editors. Mm-hmm. And but the publisher, the, the commissioning editor I know hasn't read the entire book and, and I know that other staff members haven't. And then I thought about it, I thought, of course, how could how could they possibly? How many books are they working on at any one time? If they were to read all of the manuscripts of all of the books, they wouldn't be able to get any work done. I mean, in hindsight, of course, how, how could they possibly do it? Mm. Uh, I know they've read chunks of it and good amounts of it, but essentially they sample what you're writing to see if they like and love which way you're going in because I, I submitted chapters as I was going. Right. And they told me that they loved it. But I actually asked them, I said, have you read the whole book? And at the time, all of them said, no, we haven't. We, we couldn't. We couldn't read the entire book. And that was, for me, was kind of surprising it kind of caught me off guard because I was almost like writing it for them I'm like I hope they like it oh they're gonna love this paragraph but you know out of all of the paragraphs in there how could they hear all of them you know and and I don't know if it's the same in fiction because maybe there's a, a bit more of a narrative that, that goes along but um that was just something I, I just didn't think of Mm-mm. I remember I think it was Tim Ferriss once saying that he would just put some random crap in there just to see if they were reading right. those sections of the what book. What a great hack that is. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what? I was also surprised that they let me keep my voice. Like, I've written some kind of ridiculous, not ridiculous, but quirky things in here. I'm going to say quirky. I shouldn't call myself ridiculous. But I wrote some quirky things in here that I thought that they would cut out. I thought, I don't get cut out in editing for sure. Mm. And then when I read read it back after that edited, I'm like, oh, they left that in. Oh, my God, I didn't think they would. And they said, um, so I wrote, and I'll tell you, I'm just looking at it now. I said on one bit, I said, uh, I always tell people that Zen is Zen. Mm. And then I wrote in parentheses, in, after I wrote that, I wrote, it must be true because it rhymes. And they left that in the printed version. <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm surprised you didn't take it out. They said, no, that's, that's how you talk in real life. You said it. You, you told us... Uh, you're going to write the way you speak, so we thought we should stay true to it. Mm-mm. And um, so do you have another book in you? Are you working on the next one? Have you thought about a second one? I have. I've got, I've got um, two ideas in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, uh, and, I've, and I've pitched it to Wiley as well, and they're, they're excited about it. Obviously, we've got um, a lot of selling to do on this one. But my next book idea is about nature, and it's about all, how all of the lessons in business we can learn from things like vegetable farming and the tides and all of that and I want to um, do a book that I guess it's a little bit like the art of war right. but but this will be um, the nature of business if you like so that's um, what I'm hoping for my next one to awesome be. wonderful and so yeah. are you re- well, on that point then are you researching that and 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 if so what's your how do you collate all of the information in a way that you can then use it later yeah, I'm actually keeping notes of what the ideas and the chapters are now as they come to me while I'm jogging. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have to stare at a screen for hours on end waiting for it to come to me. Mm. I've had this idea in my mind for a really long time, actually, before this book. Um, but uh, And I've written a few blog posts on, on some of um, the ideas. 
but I'm starting to, to develop like a chapter outline now and, and talk about the different things that, that I want to go through. I mean, I want to go through things like seasons, tides, um, farming, agriculture. And the ironic thing is, is is that many of the words that we use in business, like yield and return on investment and growth, I mean, they're all nature words, right? But no one's ever really pointed out the simplicity. And so I want it to be a book that can be in almost like an introductory kind of viewpoint on, on business that explains things in a way that we all naturally understand. So I'm kind of just pulling together the pieces so that when this one's done, we I can jump into the next. Fantastic. And um, what's your finally, what's your advice to, you know, aspiring writers or people who want to be in a position, position like you now, who want to have their book out there? Yeah, my, my first piece of advice, and this, this is going to sound ironic, is don't think of yourself as a writer. So in business, I'm a business person who understands certain things about business. Even if you're in the fiction area, you've got to think of yourself as a storyteller or think of, think of yourself in the area as, a, as a, you know, a scientist. If you're in science fiction, for example, you need to imagine yourself in that position rather than the person telling the story. Mm. And so I think of myself as a business person and then it makes it easy for me to write about business. If I was writing in science fiction, I would think of myself as Captain Kirk or a scientist and what I would want science to be like or what I would like science to invent. Uh, to, to invent and then tell that story. So I think if we can remove ourselves from the, the W word, because it gets all scary mm. being a writer, then I think it becomes easier to write. Fantastic advice. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Val. So that was Steve Sammartino. Did you enjoy that? That was fantastic. It's always really interesting to hear how different people go about different way, different things from writing to getting their deal to doing all those sorts of stuff. And he's obviously a very, very interesting man. Yeah, and I think one of the um, things I'd really like people to take away from it because he's, he mentioned how, you know, he got an introduction to his publisher through a guy called Trevor Young. And yes. interestingly, I introduced Trevor Young to that publisher because oh, I had invited Trevor to a lunch and I made sure that he sat near the, the publisher and all of that. But I, it often confounds me when people don't take advantage of these networking, you know, opportunities. I've been in situations where I've seen to you know students who I know are fantastic and I know we're just incredible writers and I've said come with me we're going to talk to so-and-so agent and they're scared and I'm I've walked 20 meters and I turn around and they're not freaking there and it's like I there's only so much you can do there's only so much the people around you who are industry you can do you also need to take the next step and you need to make sure that you take advantage of all the opportunities that are there and also like what What's there to be scared of? Like, I don't really understand. I remember like the, the, when I was writing my first adult novel years and years and years ago. So we're talking about 10 years ago. I went to a friend's book launch and I was there sort of like, I'd only written the first draft. Like I was really quite new at it. It was my first full length thing that I'd ever tried. And I was standing there and she introduced me to her publisher, who is a very, very down to earth lady and great. And I didn't mm. actually realize who she was. Mm which is probably a good thing. Yes. So we're standing there and we're chatting away and we had the best time and we were laughing about different things. And then my friend came over and said, oh, Alison has a manuscript. And I like nearly died a thousand deaths when I realized who I'd been talking to. And she said to me, you should send it to me on Monday. Wow. And I, and I sort of went, oh, uh, it, that, you know, as you do. And then the following, on the following Monday, I emailed my friend and I said, oh, do you think I should? She said, do not be an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Send it through. And I was like, oh, but it's but, but, but. And she's like, no, you, don't, you only get these opportunities at a certain, you know, they come to you for a certain reason you need to follow them through. Exactly. So I sent it through and she came back to me and she said, I really love the voice, but I can tell this is a first draft. You need to do more work on it. Mm. And I took it away and I did that. So I think it's... Um, you know, like, okay, like I was not devastated that she did not love it immediately because I knew it was a first draft as well. But I was so excited by her saying, I love the voice. Mm. And, you know, sometimes that's all you need to kind of give you that impetus to keep going. So take the opportunities, people. They're important. Having said that, I was was reading, um, I was on Twitter yesterday and I saw someone in my Twitter stream had, had sent out the first draft of their of their novel to, or their of their their work that they were working on to to or to um, publishers, mm. and my first thought was why did you send your first draft? Mm. 
don't send your first draft. Mm. I mean, it might be amazing. I I could be wrong. It's, you know, it may well be amazing. But Mm. I'm thinking that if it's your first draft, it's probably going to need work. Especially if it's your first novel. Mm. Yeah, or your I'm not quite, yeah, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure of this person's um, background. But, Mm. yeah, I did, I just saw a first draft and thought, oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Anyway. So what else have you got for us this week, Val? Well, our web pick is actually a bit of a hack because there might be many writers and I'm certain many bloggers out there who have multiple email accounts or multiple Gmail accounts. Uh, For example, I have my own Gmail account, but my cat Rex has his own Gmail account. And, you know, I used to think it was quite a pain logging in and out, you know, to to access your different accounts. And as a result, I ended up staying with one and neglecting the other. But then the the heavens opened and light light shone down and I discovered, and, you know, maybe I'm behind the times, but I would like to share it in case there's anyone out there who would like this hack, uh, that you can actually have multiple email accounts open um, and and you, and you can switch between them very, very easily without having to log in and out. Now, we, I won't explain necessarily how to do it here, but we'll put the link in the show notes. But in case, uh, you know, it, it's actually really, really easy. I'll just, uh, in case, I will just do a very quick summary here. And that is that you, you know, log into one of your Gmail accounts and then on the right corner, you click on the drop-down menu next to your image and you press Add Account. And oh. then you, you know, log into that account. And then from that point on, you can um, use the same browser with the same, you know, multiple Gmail accounts. And all you need to do is click on the drop-down menu to select the email you want to access. Simple. That's fantastic. Fantastic. I had no idea that was even possible. Okay. There you go. Look, you see, look, you are just full of excitement and you make my life better, Val. What can I say? <laughs> what can I say? Speaking of, <laughs> go on. <laughs> speaking of making life better, mm. <laughs> I believe you've got something to talk to us about with Kindles, which makes me kind of laugh, you know, given how little I actually use my Kindle well, but or my Kindle app even. But um, you have got news. Maybe you will use it um, after mm. you hear this tip. Okay, I think it's great. And it works on Kindle. It works on your Kindle app on your iPad or whatever. It, it works, you know, on, kin- on Kindle, um, on Cloud Reader. So, mm-hmm. you know, some people may not know you can read your Kindle book like, just in the browser. Uh, and I do that. Uh, <laughs> what? It's funny. I, I didn't know that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know anything. <laughs> I got no idea. It's it's really useful. I do read a lot of books just on my web browser, just on my desktop computer. Anyway, so you're reading your book and you think, oh, wow, that's a great phrase or, you know, oh, I've got to remember that. So you can just highlight it and you simply highlight it by, you know, just your, your, your mouse. You're just highlighting it like you highlight anything in Word. And you can choose the word highlight and it will highlight it in yellow or whatever colour it is that you choose and um, if you want you can then attach a note to it so you might highlight that and you might actually write great piece of writing good you, it's a it's a it's good to use in an example of you know an inciting incident or whatever you know it doesn't have to be about writing sometimes I do it with my business books you know that for stuff that I'm going to use in presentations but then for a while there I was thinking this is such a great function but it's stuck in my Kindle <laughs> You know, how do I get all my highlights and my uh, all my highlights and those notes out of there, right? Yeah. And so it's very easy. But uh, and we'll put a link in the show notes. We'll put, it's actually going to be uh, on the Australian Writers Centre blog. But all you do is, you know, you get the book um, that you've got your highlights on, and you got there's a thing on in the cloud, as in thing on your web browser, kindle.amazon.com slash your underscore highlights. And all of your highlights are actually in there. You need to be logged into your account, of course. And then you go to that, all of your highlights are there. And all you do is you copy and paste them into Evernote or a Word document and print them out and there are all your highlights. It's like magic. It's like like taking notes in your textbooks without actually having to write them all out. Exactly. Perfect. great. I think it's fantastic. And if I used my Kindle more often, I would totally be into that. Yes. (laughs) When I stop being a Luddite, (laughs) 
<laughs> with my old fashioned paper book situation. <laughs> I do I do use it like occasionally, like particularly if I'm, you know, heading off to Sydney or something, I'll download something to read on the train just so I don't have to lug things because, you know, I like to go to Sydney with the one small bag, as yes. you know. Um, and so sometimes the one small bag doesn't allow for large books if I'm reading them at the time. Um, so I will I will use it for that. But I, I just, I don't know, I just like to, I do like to get away from the screen. I think that's basically all it is. I just like to get away from the screen. Really? But it's, it's I so do. handy. I know, but I like, it's it's kind of like if I'm on the screen, I'm doing screeny stuff, and then I go, I've had enough of this, and I get out my book, and it's like going on holidays. <laughs> <laughs> my screen, it's true. Fair I'm sorry, <laughs> I know, I'm so old school. Um, which brings us to the end of our podcast, episode thirty, done and dusted. Yeah, there you go. So, what have you? Um, what are you up to in the coming week until we next speak? Well, I am working on. Um, we're going to get some teachers' notes up onto the MapmakerChronicles.com. Um, website. So um, I've got some quite um, specific, you know, notes aimed for teachers to use the to use the book within the syllabus um, in their classrooms and things like that. So um, a, a, um, a very clever teacher friend of mine has actually gone through and done the work for any teacher who may wish to to take the book into their classroom at some point. So I'll be uploading those um, sometime this week, hopefully, mm. um, which is pretty exciting. And then I feel like my little website will have all the different elements it will need and will be ready for launch in a few weeks' time. Fantastic. It is exciting. Can't wait. Can't wait. Yes. And you? Oh, I know you've got a whole world of ridiculousness to get through, haven't you? Yes, I've got a crazy, crazy diary up ahead, but I may need to attempt to schedule in, thanks to you, uh, an um, appointment at the hairdresser because... <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you are going to out yourself here. Okay. Before, before, before. Why are you doing that, Val? <laughs> Why would you need to do that? Well, before recording, you told me off because I just thought for fun I would experiment with one of these, <sighs> you know, hair dye things that you buy from the chemist, which yep. I purchased yesterday. I specifically went to the chemist yep. to, to do it because yep. I thought, how hard can it be? How hard? And um, you've advised me strongly against that because Why? I just can't believe that anyone who worked at Clio would not know better than to try a hair dye experiment when they've got two weeks of public appearances coming up. <laughs> you know, hair dyes are made, home hair dye is amazing and like it, it's, it's so easy to use these days and I've got nothing against it whatsoever. But to try it for your first time ever yeah. when you're about to like step on stage in front of thousands of people, like what are you thinking? You crazy woman. Anyway, <laughs> so I've strongly suggested that you make a hairdressing appointment and that you try your hair dye experiment in December when you are on holidays. Thank you. What would I do without you? It could have been a very embarrassing couple All of I'm weeks saying ahead. is Paula Joy would be going, what are you thinking, Val? You know she would. <laughs> okay, on that note, we're... On that note. <laughs> it's time to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your feedback and your questions. And uh, if you do have a question, please email us, podcast at writerscentre.com.au. You can find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. Where do we find you, Alison? You'll find me at alisontate.com. And you'll find me at ValerieKoo.com. So we look forward to chatting to you next time. Bye. 